Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. So we've been talking a lot about generosity over the last few weeks, and today we're kind of wrapping up this whole package on living or practicing generosity in the way that Jesus demonstrated. And by now you're getting the idea that generosity is one of the central tenets to being a follower of Christ. It's, it's a way in which we demonstrate the love that God has given to us by enacting that same love to one another through our lives and through a variety of ways, through the sharing of the things that we have. And it's a, it's a core facet of what it means to be a follower of Christ, to be radically generous at times. But when it comes down to it, which is what we're going to focus on today, when it comes down to it, how do we make wise decisions about the ways we can be generous, not only with our time and our talent, but also with our money and our finances in ways that can feel or kind of avoid feeling random or feeling haphazard in our giving? Or even worse, we recognize that in our culture, there is no lack of people asking for your money. <laughs> there is no lack of opportunities and places in which to give. So how can we ensure that we're not being taken advantage of or we're being kind of wise and, and vigilant in the way that we give? So the question that we ask ourselves is, does the Bible give us any guideline for our finance and how to be generous and where and how we should give? And it does. It gives us lots of guidelines, lots of suggestions, lots of good information. And one of the core passages that does this for us is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Like the whole two chapters are on giving generosity in one very specific detailed way. It doesn't mean this is the only way in which we give, but it is one example of a very specific giving. And in this passage, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he seems to be discussing a fundraising campaign. In other words, he's, he's trying to fundraise money for the poor Christians in Jerusalem and Judea. That's all we're given. There's, there's poor Christians in Jerusalem and Judea who need some help. And so Paul is trying to rally the New Testament church that's spreading throughout the, area, the region in giving to these Christians. And the Corinth the Christians in Corinth, initially, it seems by the passage that it seems that they had initially promised to help, but when it came down to it, they hadn't like actually done the thing. They hadn't actually given the donation, given the money yet. And Paul is encouraging them to keep their word, to do the thing that they had said they were going to do. In the letter, he tells of this, uh, he tells the church in Corinth about another church, which I don't know if it's like giving shaming or what he's doing, but really what he's doing is trying to honor and lift up the church in Macedonia who had given and they had given extravagantly in their poverty to others. So even though they had very little themselves, they begged for the privilege to be involved in this 
campaign of giving towards these other poor Christians. And they'd given abundantly, in some cases even more than they had. So they became this example of generosity for Paul before these other churches. And they gave out of their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ, whom they likely didn't even know, really. Macedonia and Jerusalem and Judea were far enough in this time of the world that, you know, it wasn't common that you're like swinging down to Denver, you know, to hang out for the afternoon. So in, in, in what they were modeling, they were modeling their unity with the work of Christ, even to those very different or far removed from themselves. Today, it would be like us raising funds for Christians in another country like Bolivia or something in a place that we may know of, but we might not have an actual connection there. You know, but really, uh, it's a call and it's a demonstration of extravagant generosity. And that's what these Macedonians recognized, that through their sacrificial giving, not only were they helping those in need, but that they themselves were becoming partners. It almost implies that through partnering in God's blessing of others, that there is something that we benefit from, that there is something that touches our hearts. Paul wants the Corinthians to learn from and to echo the generosity of the Macedonians. So Paul tells them, tells them what the Macedonians have done, and then he lays out a few key principles of giving that we're going to be focusing on or that we're going to be kind of pointing out from this passage. This is from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. The three points. He points out that generous giving is done wisely and faithfully. Secondly, he wants them to give out of love and joy rather than simply out of duty. And finally, he reminds them that there is a privilege, there is a benefit to partnering in the gospel work of God's kingdom, specifically through giving. So I'll be guiding us through this passage. We're not going to read those two chapters word for word. We'll kind of pick a few uh, verses here and there, but we're going to be focusing on the verses that emphasize these three points, that generous giving should be done wisely and faithfully, that giving should be come from love and joy rather than obligation or duty. And finally, it is a privilege to give as partners in the kingdom of heaven. So as we dive into the scripture, let us pray. Gracious God, as we turn to your word for us, may the spirit of God rest upon us and help us to be steadfast in our hearing, in our speaking, and in our believing, also in our living. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Um, I'm reading from the New Living Translation today just to kind of help it flow a little bit. When you're reading big passages, sometimes this is helpful. So uh, we'll begin in chapter 8, verse 1. Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflown in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift of the believers of Jerusalem. Skipping to verse seven. 
Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you too to excel also in the gracious act of giving. I am not commanding you to do this, but I am testifying how genuine your love is by comparing it to the eagerness of other churches. You know that generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Verse 12. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can be helped to those in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you in, when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Jumping to chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything that you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when you take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So this passage does the work for us. There's not like a, a lot of real hard exegesis that we need to do here. But, you know, it encapsulates all that we've been saying over the last three weeks in this series on generosity. Practicing generosity the way Christ encouraged. So I'm not going to spend a time going over a lot of ground that we've already covered. If you've missed any of those previous weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast or, or, or watch it. You know, it, it's good to kind of catch up where we've been. But generosity begins with our heart's posture towards God and towards others. In order to participate in God's invitation of generosity, we must view God and view others from a place of abundance rather than scarcity, which our culture tends to approach life through. A mindset of scarcity will talk us out of even the most modest of giving. But viewing God and his provision as an abundant gift will allow us to take the first steps 
into modeling heavenly generosity. But then secondly, and equally crucial, we must allow the Holy Spirit to do this work in our hearts that turns our hearts and our focus from inwards to outwards. By posturing our hearts in this way, we find so many opportunities to bless others once we begin noticing the needs around us. And oftentimes this comes not just through our finances, but especially through our lives, through our gifts of self as we describe them, our attention, our experiences, our emotions, forgiveness, talents, expertise. These are oftentimes the most precious commodities that we have to share that God has given to us. And it's the foundation of practicing generosity the way Jesus did. And then finally, of course, we consider then how we can be good stewards of the money and the resources that we do have. And in doing so, we need to first start from a, a basis of honesty. What are my obligations? What obligations do I financially have? And we meet those first. And then from the overflow, can we become generous and abundant to others? And then also, then thirdly, receive from our, ourselves the abundance that God provides us. So this is where we're picking up today, living in radically generous ways to contribute to the material and spiritual needs of the kingdom at work all around us. But notice from that passage in Corinthians, one thing that Paul didn't tell the Corinthians, he didn't tell them how much to give. He doesn't give them an explicit number. He simply lays out these principles of giving, but then he tells them that it's up to them to choose before God what it is that they have and how they can give, what they can give. The one piece of advice that he does have is give according to what you have, not what you don't have. There are times in which God might inspire you to be sacrificially generous. In other words, generous in a way that like maybe doesn't quite make sense on the, on the, the checkbook ledger or whatever, however you keep track of your finances. In those moments, that's a, a rare and special case. But in general, God's saying, give from what you have. And he wants uh, to then inspire us in giving that way. So giving generously might mean that we might have to wait a month here and there for that thing that we've had our eye on, that gadget or new game or whatever it is. For me, it's that, that new pen or new notebook or backpack. You know, for you, it might be anything, but by prioritizing our financial obligations and then generosity, by prioritizing those things, we're always ensuring that we have an abundance to give from. And what we find is that oftentimes then those abilities to get the things that we need and desire and want for ourselves, it's always there as well. We also ensure that our hearts and our spirits are aligned with God's generosity by prioritizing our financial uh, obligations in this way. So the choice is simple for the church in Corinth uh, will you choose to participate in kingdom giving, the privilege of joining in the blessing of blessing others through our finance? I think we are. You are a giving church. You are an extravagantly giving church. And so many of these things that we're covering this morning are just good reminders for ourselves. But here are a few suggestions, ways that, it th that through Emmaus Road Church, you can participate in the giving and the blessing of the kingdom through your finances. So this is not an exhaustive list, but I think it reveals a few of the priorities that uh, 
that we have identified over the previous few weeks as scripture has guided us. But importantly, the invitation is to bring this list before God in openness, to commit and then to follow through in ways to give. So this morning, we're going to be talking through six very specific ways that this church body, this congregation participates in giving. And again, these are ways in which you are already living faithfully, calling these to our attention and reminding us of these, because oftentimes we don't take the time to cover these very specific things that we do. So hopefully this is, is encouraging and enlightening, and maybe even, uh, maybe even you'll learn something this morning. But the first and most obvious way in which every follower of Christ exercises giving and generosity is through tithing. It is very likely also the area in which most Christians have the most baggage or the most emotional damage <laughs> because tithing has been something that has been very openly, oftentimes, preached. Last week, we spoke of the financial responsibilities that followers of Christ have, not only in the home, also in society, and also in the church. Well, your tithe is how we are able to support the ministry of the church, not only this congregation, but the way the church is supported around the world, fulfilling the church's logistical needs. So your tithe supports staff salaries, but it also supports our ministry opportunities, our ministry expenses, our hospitality, the, ne the necessities like utility bills and maintenance and state licenses and fees to be a, a nonprofit organization in Colorado, all of these things. And the tithe is the one place in scripture in which we are given a number, a target to aim for. It goes back to the, the era of the kings in Old Testament scripture in which the subjects of a king would owe them a tithe or a tenth or a tribute. That's where this concept came from. 10% of your income set aside for the church. And let's be honest, if the practice or the habit or the discipline or whatever you want to call it, if, if giving 10% of your income is not already a habit for you, it's really rough <laughs> to think of doing this to think of starting into this. After all, like we already have to pay our taxes. What is that? 12, 25%, depending on who you are. Like that's a lot and another 10% for the church. And I've been there. I've been there, you know, looking at the amount of money that is coming in compared to our responsibilities, our needs, our bills. Sometimes it just doesn't add up. And we have this option or we have to make this decision of what do we do? Are we going to write the tithe check or not? I can't describe to you why or how, but a mysterious thing happens. A mysterious thing happens when we trust God with our finances. The math doesn't always work out. The logistics oftentimes are surprising, but I can testify that over 35 years of my life, since the time I was 14 years old and had my first job, by tithing, the first thing when I get a check, whatever that 10% is, by tithing that 10% first, I've never in my life had a moment in which I was left wanting. 
in which I was unable to meet a commitment, to meet a bill, to, to pay the responsibilities that I had. I can remember a time when I was 10 years old, I can remember this birthday card I got from my grandma so distinctly, because you open it, it had like the number 10, one and zero on two sides of the page, and it had a bunch of dimes on it. And I took one of the dimes off and I said, that'll be my offering. I'm making myself to sound like I'm like this. That's not what I'm trying to do. I was modeled generosity very well by a family who loves God. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's a blessing. But then, of course, your life changes. You go through seasons. So as a married couple, when Melissa and I began to look at our finances together rather than separately, we had to work through the same questions, the same uh, trust issues, really. What would we do? How would we handle our finances together? And I can tell you that there were many times in those early years when you're newly married and you're beginning to commit to things like buying houses and stuff like that and looking at the finances. There were times in which it, it was kind of nerve wracking writing that tithe check. And there were even times in which we knew if we put that check in the offering this Sunday, we, it might bounce. And so let's wait a Sunday, but we're going to write the check and leave it on the counter and we'll drop it in next week. There were times where we had to do that. But over the years, we have found a foundation of healthy, stable finances. And for us, for our family, it began through tithing. And as God's faithful commit to tithing, not only is the church able to operate, to work, and to do the things of the kingdom as intended, but personally, you as a giver are invited into that special thing that we heard at the end of chapter nine, where we get to receive the joy of being free with our money to others. We experience the blessing of giving. So our first priority in giving and generosity our, uh, with our money is, is really kind of what falls un, in scripture, uh, at least, under one of these things that we've defined as a bit of a responsibility or an obligation that we as followers of Christ, we have this expectation to share our finances to support the local church. But what about those opportunities that move beyond the tithe into extra giving, into extravagance, into what the church of Macedonia was doing for the Christians in Jerusalem and Judea? What other ways do we have to give our money? The second one that's listed in your worship folder there is faith promise. If you've been around here very long, you've heard this term. If you're new to this place, faith promise, it might, you might not have any idea what this is. It's something that's always listed on the bottom of our first flap as one of those areas in which we track giving. But what is faith promise? Well, just like the call to the church in Corinth to partner with God's work, in other parts of the world, faith promise is used by the Nazarene denomination as a way to provide financial support for the work of the church around the world, specifically through world missions. So the Church of Nazarene is, of which Emmaus is a member, is one of the longest running globally supported mission programs in the world. So in the 1800s, the Church of Nazarene began sending missionaries and agreeing to financially support those missionaries. 
Of course, uh, most mission organizations are, are self-funded. Fundraising is a core of what's done. The Church of the Nazarene does some of that thing, but also we have Faith Promise, which is a way in which congregations like ours support the work of missions around the world. It asks us to give generos- generously beyond even our personal tithe in supporting uh, the local church in order to partner with God's resource or God's work around the world. So the things that Faith Promise Giving goes towards, uh, it goes directly to international mission work, including missionary salaries. It provides funding for radio, television, communications, all of these new things that are happening these days. It goes into Bible translation partnerships through organizations like Wycliffe and and the like, Uh, medical missions, disaster relief, creative access missions in areas in which missionaries are are going in as tent makers or vocational mission missionaries in which they can uh, do work, the work of the kingdom in creative access areas. So our faith promise giving also supports Nazarene denominational administration. So the needs both locally here in our Colorado district, but also on a global level. And just as parishioners or or you folks who come to a church are encouraged to tithe uh, a portion of your giving towards the work of the local church, Emmaus Road uh, as a whole, we pledge to give, and we pledge to give 13% of our total annual income through tithing back to the denomination that we are part of as support. In other words, if our annual income received through tithes and offerings was like 150,000, then at the end of the year, we would be giving 19,500 towards these faith promise initiatives. There's a breakdown in your worship folder on how that is, that 13% is broken up. So as you can see, 5.5% is the World Evangelism Fund, kind of what I was describing there. Uh, International mission support, including salaries and just any uh, mission work that's happening around the world. Two and a quarter percent goes towards global education. So supporting our Bible colleges and seminaries around the world. Two and a quarter percent then go towards pensions and benefits. So it's that little bit that then, you know, when someone like me retires from the church, we've got a bit of a 50 or a, a IRA there or whatever, if we're giving into that. And then 3% to support the denominational administration here in Colorado. And, you know, our, our uh, district, Colorado, likes to brag that 3% is the lowest of any of the, of the districts in, the North, in North America in uh, supporting the administration there. But just as we sacrificially give as a church body in this way, you know, we invite the congregation to join us in that giving. So that 13% we're committed to as a, as, a, as a church, but we ask the congregation to share in that a bit. And so that's why we uh, kind of keep track of that separately on, uh, in our giving folder each week. And each year, kind of the target goal that we have set before us, it might fluctuate a bit based on just the ebbs and flows of us as a congregation that changes year to year based on our size and our budget and just kind of what giving trends are like. 
and the church board and our finance committee helps us set this target number. And for this year, that target number is $1,067 a month, kind of above and beyond our tithe to go towards uh, this 13% that we're giving together. So to break that down even further, you know, we have about 20 to 25 giving families among the congregation. Are you okay with this? Is this too detailed or is this all right? We don't tend to do these kind of numbers. So hopefully this is still encouraging and, and helpful to you. We have about 20 to 25 giving families in the congregation. And so of those 20 to 25 families, if we took that 1,067 target and divided it by that number, it'd be about $45. So if you are one of those giving families, 45 extra dollars a month would exceed, meet and exceed our faith promise goals for the year. If we each participated in this giving, it would be a way in which this congregation can know that we are actively participating in the global work around the world, exactly like we read in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Last week, I spoke about kind of the unique situation that we have as this local church body in caring for this unique building here at 2101 South LeMay Avenue. You know, the majority of this care for this building is, is budgeted. So this is part of what we as a church board and a finance committee budget into how we're gonna use the tithing that happens. So most of the maintenance and the care is happening out of our budget. But occasionally circumstances arise in which something that's unbudgeted for comes up. How many of you guys have experienced that in your own finances? Yeah, you might have the car maintenance fund, but then all of a sudden you need a set of tires that you didn't plan for and woof, where's that gonna come from? A quick story. My throat's drying up. A quick story. So I kind of told a little bit of the church's history with our property here, uh, you know, on LeMay Avenue. In the 1960s, the, this church which was founded in uh, 1926. We're coming up on our centennial, but this church was founded in 1926. And by the 60s, they were bursting at the seams of their building over on Mountain Avenue. And so they, they purchased this property and they built this building and moved in in the early 70s, so 1971. And throughout the years, the church had kind of grown and shrunk the way churches do. So after they had committed and they built this place, so in the kind of mid to late 70s, this building, this property, we were averaging about 450 people a week. Could you imagine this room, 450 people? And this is one of those times when they kept real good numbers on like all kinds of attendance numbers, but we were averaging over 200, almost 300 people in Sunday school every week. Think about those, those, those classrooms back there. So in that time, they were already planning, we gotta build another building. We gotta put something up in the parking lot out here. There was, we have the plans in the office of the, the building that they had drawn up to put up in there. Anyway, the ebbs and the flows, right? By the 90s, the church had gone through some really hard times. 
it had gone through some hard financial times, but really there had been some changes in staff and things like that, causing the church to shrink to really a handful of folks. And so in the late 90s, it was like 12 people was a big Sunday. And the question the denomination had is, is it time to close this church? In the, in the 2000s, this is when Pastor Andy and Amy, some of you remember Andy and Amy, um, who were here for many years, they faithfully accepted the call to take a really hard situation and to come in and do the work. And through their faithfulness, God kind of restored and rebuilt the church here. And we had some great times in the 2000s, 2010s. Uh, the church had grown back into the 200s and things were going good. You know, but there were still those ebbs and flows and those, still, those opportunities to care for now what was becoming this aging building. In 2008, the church owned a parsonage. You guys know what a parsonage is? It's a property that many churches own that the pastor or staff live in. Uh, so it's kind of a, a benefit that was given to pastoral families. So at the time, we owned a parsonage just north of, of um, Prospect, uh, just north of Adora Park on Luke Street. Um, at the time, the, the Lucas family was wanting to kind of invest and buy a property, as you do. You want kind of have equity, right? So the Lucas family was not using the parsonage. And so the church agreed to sell that, that property. And so in that time of 2008, about $240,000 came into the church's savings account. In the way we kind of denominationally care for money, we know that that money needs to be used specifically for either buy new property or capital improvements, capital repairs. That's not just paying the bills money. So since 2008, we've kind of had this nest egg of money through which we could do big things. And many big things and great things were done here for this, this building. Uh, this sanctuary roof was redone. That was a big, big item. Uh, the sound system was upgraded, you know, as technology continues to grow and all those kind of things. The parking lot was repaved numerous times and just up, like upgrading the chairs, these nice comfortable chairs. At one point, these were pews, as you would imagine, in a, in a church, but just kind of caring for the things of the, of the, the, the needs that came up. Um, you may have noticed some repairs that have been going on very recently. We've just recently repaired some of the wooden roof beams that are on that uh, south side and also on the west side of our property. Just kind of big picture things. These are some of the things that we have used this savings account to care for. We have a couple of more phases of, of beam repair that are on the docket that we know we need to take care of. But this nest egg of $200,000 or so over the last uh, decade or so has kind of, we've used some of that money. We're sitting at a balance of about 33000 in savings. And so as you would with your own home finances, there's times in which we just give a little extra in order to set aside for those things that come up. And it's not just repairs that this money has been used for or that we imagine we could use this money for. We do have vision for continuing to update and to uh, bring this property into kind of new and modern and fresh 
things from here and there. You know, things like uh, new signage along LeMay Avenue to kind of represent who we are today. Uh, even that little bridge we drive over, we've uh, done some dreaming and planning on how we can kind of make that a nice entry level and like a nice first impression. The welcome arch that you're always greeted underneath each week, ways that we can kind of improve that look and just those kinds of things giving us greater visibility along LeMay Avenue, a greater first impression. Um, we also have like things set or our eyes set on ways that we can improve the, the building inside, including our lighting in certain areas. You know, we have definitely a, a, a vibe going on in here, but ways in which we can use our lighting in a variety of ways, um, all kinds of things. Uh, lighting on the exterior part of the church so it's not quite so dark when you're seeing it from the road. Just, we have, we have dreams and visions. But also, we have our eyes set on long-term things like energy efficiency upgrades, including addressing like the three 50-year-old boilers we have in this building that kind of runs the radiant heating, ways that we can consider how to upgrade those perhaps to uh, solar or other alternative energy uses. Um, in the back area, it's all boilers and there's no air conditioning. We have those little air conditioning units. So installing mini splits in the children's classrooms. So there's reliable heating and cooling all throughout the year. So things like that. Just like with our home budgets at home, if we faithfully set aside a little each month over the years, we'll be able to faithfully care for the needs of this property. So that's the building fund. The CARE Fund, we talk about this pretty frequently around here, but the CARE Fund is another very specific way in which we are able to come alongside one another in those unanticipated financial uh, strains that we all experience. Unanticipated medical bills, house or auto repairs, things like that. But we also are able to bless uh, one another with some of the special things. So sometimes we use the care fund to do things like scholarships to retreats or, you know, those kinds of things. So this, these are ways in which we use the care fund. And it's one of the most tangible ways that we have in participating with biblical and the early model of sharing the things that we have as one another, uh, as we have these kind of needs. Over the last 18 months, you know, I could have gone back further, but about over the last 18 months, you have given about $3,300 to the CARE Fund. And over that same period of time, the last 18 months, we've, we've been able to give about $4,200 to help one another with very specific needs. So you notice that we've given more than we received. That's great because we had a balance in that CARE Fund. It's, it's a privilege to be able to do that. So, it, you know, it's an energizing way in which we can participate in the life of uh, ups and downs that we all face. Currently, our care fund has, has a good balance. It has a positive balance. But if you ever feel inclined, designated a little extra money from your giving, you can either just mark it on the memo of your check or once you go give online, there's usually like the drop down of what fund you're giving towards giving a few extra into the care fund can help. Uh, you may remember just a, a month or so ago, we had the opportunity to come along the Torres family 
and help with some medical bills that Ruthie was experiencing. Uh, and it's, it's very, they were so very grateful, surprised, shocked, so blessed. And I can report that Ruthie's chemo treatments were successful and she's already experienced surgery and is already on the road to recovering and wholeness and health. So thank you for joining with us and caring for the Torres family in that way. Fifth, you're very familiar with our partnership with Faith Family Hospitality or the Family Housing Network here in Fort Collins. The overnight hosting program that we participate in as we come alongside folks who are transitioning from a season of homelessness into permanent housing. And it's such a privilege to participate in this type of giving. And, and while we're not typically giving of our money to FFH, it's typically giving of our time and our, our, our energy, uh, bringing a meal. I guess that's our money, you know, but we participate in this overnight program two to three times a year. Our next housing week, our next hosting opportunity is coming this holiday season. So we'll be hosting the week between Christmas and New Year's Day. So um, stay tuned on opportunities on how you can participate in that host week. Of course, hosting during the actual day of Christmas gives us some unique opportunities. And FHN is helping us think about how we can engage in that intentionally, but still in healthy ways for the family. But uh, stay tuned for how you can participate in that. But in the meantime, we have asked FHN, our, our primary outreach partner, if there's other things that we can be doing, other ways that we can be involved. And they said yes. In your worship folders, you'll see another little handout. One of the things that we're going to be doing in October and November is setting aside a few donation boxes in order to do a giving drive. So the items, physical, tangible items that FHN uh, has need of from time to time. So you'll see that list there. Um, you'll see it's, it's very specific. As a matter of fact, there's a few things that they say, please don't give these things. Uh, we just want to honor and respect that list. And so stick to the list, <laughs> uh, stick to the suggestions because they've been doing this for a long, long time. Um, but these are ways in which FHN then is able to meet the needs of those involved in the program and ways that we can then maybe extend that blessing over these next few months. Finally, a couple of times a year, we have one of these additional opportunities to lend your time, your expertise, your energy in, in workday. Workday may seem like wah, wah, kind of like a letdown in the things that we were describing, but workday is such an important thing that happens around here. We have a workday on the calendar for October 21st. We'll be putting a fresh coat of paint on some areas in the, the building here. We'll be uh, repairing some, well, attempting to repair some leaks on the roof to help mitigate a big cost later, uh, but kind of caring for some leaks on the roof, uh, some closet reorganization, and generally just caring for the buildings with some TLC. But one of the things that we're going to be doing on the 21st, I'm so excited about, we've uh, requested and we've been given the opportunity to provide a community service project to the Sherwood House here in Fort Collins. Providing some, just some cleanup of yard and some outdoor work at the Sherwood House. This means that not only on our work day will we be caring for our building, 
but we'll be setting aside a crew of people to go and care for our community on that same day. I just love the optics of that, that we're not just focused on what we do here in this building and this property, but also in our community. Sherwood House is a property that's owned by the Family Housing Network. It's a, it's a property that benefits not only some of the workers for FHN, but also some of the guests. So at times, uh, people are living in that house and moving through that house. It's where they have some offices. So it's a, it's a way that we can give, again, to this very successful and very, uh, yeah, this very good program that we love. So on October 21st, from 8 to noon, we'll be sending a handful of people over to the Sherwood House to care for those needs while we do the workday. So I hope this isn't feeling like overwhelming or too in the weeds, too much minutia, but in identifying these ways that we can give financially as a church body, I hope this is inspiring you. And of course, this isn't the end of the list. Likely many of you have other ways in which God encourages you to share your resources with others in, in extravagant ways. Maybe you have a charity or a ministry that you support. That's wonderful. These are just some that we know of here. First, as we focus on blessing the Lord and his kingdom through our tithes, then with the extra that we find through Faith Promise and the building and the care fund, our partnerships with organizations like FHN, but also our community service projects, both here at home and in the community. These are ways in which we can actively participate in giving through our finances, the way we heard in 2 Corinthians. And you have proven faithful. We're not sharing this giving campaign. We're not sharing this sermon series because we're in trouble. We're not in trouble. We're doing great. As a matter of fact, if you look on the inside of your worship folder and you can see our targets for general giving, we're doing great. And we're hitting that each month. So um, thank you. This is just encouragement for all of us in how we can participate in these ways. So as we conclude this month of our focus on generosity, the generosity of Christ, and our natural response to his generosity, may we endeavor to just live honestly and faithfully before the Lord in our giving, in our gifts of self. May we find joy in wisely stewarding all of our gifts that God has given to us, emotional, physical, and financial. May we prioritize our resources to meet our obligations, both at home, in society, in the church, but also ways in which we can extend the kingdom through generous giving in a variety of ways. May we be willing, eager, and even passionate participate, participants in this holistic work of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Hmm. May we be sure to maintain margin in our lives. Margin on the calendar. <laughs> margin in the checkbook. Margin in a variety of ways so that when given the opportunity, we have room to give to others. May we truly see one another as gifts that we are, the way the Heavenly Father sees us, 
pulling the best from one another as God has done for us. May we be people of abundant life and may generosity become our natural response, our natural posture of living in this world. Thanks to the extravagance of the God who has been generous to us. Thanks be to God.